Welcome back, everybody. This is Season 3, Episode 3 of the Willow Center Podcast. We are your hosts, Chase Cotton and... Mason Christie. Thank you so much for tuning back in. Last month, we talked about the myth that you can recover on your own or alone. And we uh, we were thrilled to have our, our a couple of our favorite alumni, Chris and Matt, talk about their unique friendship and the, uh, the community support they've been able to provide to each other throughout their recovery and wellness journeys and how that's so essential uh, when you are talking about uh, just getting better and living a better life. Can't do it alone. This episode's topic, this month's topic, is about the myth that recurrence or what's more commonly known as relapse is always or inevitably part of recovery. Now, quick disclaimer about the language. We're going to be using the word recurrence because that is what the Substance Abuse um, and Mental Health Administration of the United States, SAMHSA, that's what it stands for, right? That's what they've decided is the more appropriate clinical term to use instead of relapse or slip up or anything like that. So we're going to be using the word recurrence because it's a more appropriate, less stigmatizing. We just wanted to make sure you as a listener knew that. We're excited to have our colleague Lexis in the house as our guest. Hi, Lexis. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Um, My name is Lexis Olette, and I am a social worker here at the Willow Center. I am in charge of our standard outpatient group program. Um, So that happens uh, two days a week. Um, And so we have evening and daytime times, and I have really enjoyed it so far. So thanks. We're glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So we have a a few questions that we're going to ask Lexis, kind of just to guide the conversation a bit and really dig into this topic. And the reason we asked Lexis is because she works hand in hand with a lot of our, uh, a lot of our clients who have lived experience with addiction and are Mm -hmm. are trying to rebuild their recovery. um, I'm sorry, rebuild their life in a a recovery lifestyle. That would be the better way to say that. And so that's why we chose to, to ask her to come talk to us about, about what she believes about this myth. So let's start by narrowing down some definitions. We've got to have right. a foundation to build upon before we dig too far into this. Sure, sure. What actually qualifies as a recurrence? Yeah, so a recurrence, as you know, you were talking earlier, Chase, about how SAMHSA's kind of switched the narrative and definition of what that's actually meaning. Um, and so now SAMHSA's using the word recurrence versus relapse. And essentially what a recurrence looks like in a clinical standpoint um, is when someone's program, whether they're working um, a 12-step program, a smart recovery program, any sort of program um, that is trying to, you know, focus on more of a life of recovery. Um, That's really when the program kind of stops, right? We have kind of fallen off the wagon with it. We've stopped going to our meetings. We've stopped reaching out to our support systems, things like that. So that's when use is reintroduced into the individual's life. Um, but then their program stops as well. You know, it's it's kind of different in what qualifies as what SAMHSA is calling a setback, um, more commonly known as a slip, um, which is when, you know, the person is still um, active within whatever program they're working with in their recovery, um, and they kind of jump right back in. You know, they don't, uh, they don't kind of abandon ship, and they stop going to their meetings, they stop reaching out for help. What this actually looks like um, with a setback is they – They kind of get back on board with their program. They recognize, okay, this happened, but all I can do now moving forward is get back on my program, reevaluate what I need to further work on. Um, And again, just really the the main difference is keeping a hold of that, um, that recovery lifestyle. And it sounds like you broke this up into two different pieces, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. There is the 
reoccurrence piece, which sounds like you just completely take off all of the safeguards you've built during Mm. your recovery, right? You're just like throwing it all into the wind. But then within a setback, it's you may like to give a concrete example. You may maybe you take a drink, but then you call your sponsor right afterwards and you're like, this is not the life I want. Exactly. That's a really helpful qualifier. I think knowing the difference between those two things, both as, you know, if, if a, a listener is listening that has lived experience with substance use as well as mm-hmm. just as providers, I think it's important for us to know because um, a, a full recurrence would require a different clinical response than Absolutely. just a setback, right? 100%. Yeah. So normally, um, if if I clinically were to have a client experience um, any sort of setback, what that looks like is, okay, let's evaluate what happened. Let's process what happened. How can we take um, the proper clinical step forward to make sure we can only solidify further the foundation of recovery, right? Um, and unfortunately, normally, if a reoccurrence happens, sometimes I don't hear back from clients. Um, so scary. Yes. I mean, th- unfortunately, within this line of work, um, the first thing I go to is if I do not hear from someone, um, is that there's there's been a reoccurrence or something else has happened. Um, normally within a setback, the, the person comes to me um, very openly and honestly because we've been able to establish a really good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll be very forthcoming about it. Like, you know, hey, I used this weekend or I drank this weekend. You know, what can I do to make sure I'm I'm staying on track and, you know, can, can get back um, on track with my program? And so that's always much easier because then I have full transparency with a client, right? Um, and furthermore as well, I think this is a huge strength of our clients to be able to admit like, hey, you know, this happened, but I really want to make sure that I have all the support I can get um, because ultimately that's why our clients are here, right? Like we're here to help. We're not here for judgment. That doesn't get us anywhere, right? And so I, I would say that clients have such strength, um, you know, when they're able to come to me and, and fully express what's going on. Love that. So, so I'm curious, are recurrences inevitable in somebody's journey? Mm, okay. So yeah, I hear, I hear this question a lot. Um, you know, I've also gone to, um, different community support meetings, AA, NA meetings, things like that. Um, and a lot of people do talk about when they experience a reoccurrence, but I know several people that have not had a reoccurrence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have someone in my family who has uh, maintained their sobriety and recovery for almost 20 years now. Amazing. Right. And so it is possible. I think, I think if we are to only continue that narrative and only, you know, kind of have that in the back of our minds, we're really just setting ourselves up for, for like, you know, for there to be an occurrence, right? We're setting ourselves up to have that experience when it's constantly in the back of our heads. So no, it's, it's not always possible. So what I hear you saying is that it's, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts. Mm. If we approach our recovery wellness journeys with this sort of background inevitability plan of failing. (laughs) 100%. Like, because here's the thing with any sort of goal, right, for anyone, even if we're not in recovery, if I'm here looking at you two and saying, oh, by the way, this is probably going to happen, 
your first thought is, well, why the heck am I even going to bother trying to do this, right? So if I'm going to look at a client or a group of my clients and be like, oh, by the way, you're definitely going to have a reoccurrence or a setback during the time while you're here. You know, what is that going to look like, right? Certainly not helpful. Right. It's it's setting it's setting our clients and our populations up for the notion that it's just going to happen when it doesn't always happen for everyone. And, and on this topic, right, we mm-hmm. when when a reoccurrence happens, you you take down your cards and, it, and maybe you go fully back into addiction. That might be what sure. happens. Um, but what I'm really getting at here is with setbacks. Mm-hmm. Okay, the there may there may be a setback. There may not be mm-hmm. while you right. are in recovery. Yeah, and when that setback does happen to keep up those safeguards and then to put more in place so so they don't happen again Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that you kind of miss when when it's all lumped together it's like oh no there are more things you can do if a setback does happen and they aren't inevitable Mm -hmm. but that just means maybe you've not built up enough support around you and that's okay 100 percent. but let's do let's build that together right yeah absolutely and so you know the normality of setbacks as well um you know, I never like to say definitively like, oh yeah, this is, this is what you should just expect. Like, sorry, (laughs) you know, like that's not going to be helpful in any way. Um, you know, I always just remain open and transparent with my clients and say like, you know what, if we do experience a setback, I hope you feel comfortable enough to share that with me. Mm -hmm. Right. Because within any new lifestyle, right. For our clients, this new lifestyle is being sober, being in recovery, right? And so for individuals who um, are new to this, right, it's going to be a little daunting at first. It's going to be hard to get used to. It's really just creating new, healthier habits. Um, And so really, Mason, like you were asking, you know, how can we ensure that foundation is there? You know, really, again, it all comes down to, you know, if a client feels, one, comfortable enough to share that with me, Um, But two, if they feel that they've had that foundation of support already where they're not going to feel judged. And I think that's where a lot, a lot, a lot of roadblocks come in is because they they have this sense of shame that comes with any sort of setback or reoccurrence. Right. Um, Because it feels like they've, quote unquote, failed. Right. And you haven't failed anything. Right. That's. You know, unfortunately, it may happen. It may not happen, though, right? And I think the biggest thing is just to be prepared for it if you can. Mm-hmm. And even better if it doesn't happen. I say even I just mistakenly used the word failed just a few moments ago. Right. <laughs> I, I, know. I saw you guys look at me. That's something I need to learn as far as my vocabulary goes, too. No, you're good. Because I, once we start um, labeling these steps or setbacks on our journey, as failures mm. or successes, it moralizes the whole thing, exactly. which ignores the fact that there, there's something legitimately related to one's mental health and, and brain chemistry that's occurring here. Yeah. If, if I want to dive more into the shame piece in yeah, just a yeah. moment and the judgment piece in a moment, but if you could humor us and tell us a little bit about what might be happening in the brain when someone mm-hmm. is on the verge of a recurrence, or maybe they've experienced a setback or two along this, the journey. Like, what's happening with the brain when it's trying to fall back upon the substance? 
Yeah, right. So particularly in the brain, um, we have what I'll go a little bit back and then I'll work my way up. Uh, so really the reason why people engage um, in any sort of substance use to begin with is because we've noticed through scientific research um, that dopamine levels are 20 times the amount of any other dopamine releasing activity, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like this absolute ginormous floodgate of dopamine just flooding the brain, yeah. right? So obviously that's going to feel good. Um, And so sometimes when people stop using substances, the dopamine on our brains is like, okay, what the heck is going on? I have not near amount the dopamine that I used to have. What's going on here? Um, And so slowly but surely over time within recovery and sobriety, your brain starts normally, you know, reevaluating, okay, I need to start making dopamine again. I need to start making dopamine again. Um, And so what happens when our brain is kind of thinking or being triggered by any sort of recurrence or setback, we're kind of in a way planning that reoccurrence or setback. Mm -hmm. If we already are that far ahead of thinking, okay, so I know I have this coming up, right? Let's say, okay, I have a party coming up that I know there's going to be substances at. There's going to be drinking, smoking, whatever the case might be, Right. right? We're looking at that as, Oh, okay, well, I know it's going to be there, right? How can I either, one, test myself, mm. or two, oh, maybe maybe I'll be okay if I just have one. Right. Right? Or to, like, go with a different example, like, maybe it's more grief-related or something. Yes. Like, oh, this is the one-year anniversary that I lost yep. this person in my life. Right. And what am I going to do to handle that? Can I test myself and just, just have one drink this time? Exactly. Exactly. And we, so what we used to call those was a relapse justification. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, again, more using the current language of a reoccurrence justification. Yeah. Um, so, again, this could be any justification as kind of like what you were saying, Chase, okay, why should I be able to engage in substance use again? Um, and so in a way your brain is kind of playing a trick on you mm-hmm. and saying, okay, for some reason I'm going back to perhaps some addictive thinking patterns that I once had right. of how this made me feel of how I liked the numbing sensation right. of the way it made me feel. So I don't have to worry about things or I can enjoy myself or I can feel you know, the ability to act and be like myself. Right. right? So really at the time, the brain is really bringing up and rehashing those old memories of, okay, well, you know, I, I thought this one time, you know, when I did drink and it ended up being okay. But then on the counterpart, it's like, okay, well, the nine out of 10 other times you drank, what happened? Yeah. So that, right? that, that whole uh, AA tool, play the tape through yeah. kind of comes into play. Mm-hmm. 100%. So taking the brain context mm-hmm. into account, once we do heap shame and, and moralizing language on top of this, yeah. then what happens? Like, how does a person not only fight against you know, what you said, our memories, but are effectively old pathways rearing their ugly head in the brain yeah. and this like heart sickness that goes along mm. with it? How do you, how do you get, get through that? Right. I mean... I would answer as simply as possible as the myth you guys talked about last month is that you can quote unquote get sober or live a life of recovery alone. Um, And we see over and over and over again that that's just simply not possible. Um, It's, it's going to take a crowd really. Um, You know, it's, it comes within ourselves to actively make that choice as to, okay, 
Um, what am I going to do next? I've had a setback or I've had a recurrence, right? Ultimately, yes, that choice is up to us as individuals, right? right? However, kind of like with what Mason was saying, are we going to reach out to people? Are we going to use that? Because again, shame is so destructive and causing us to begin isolating. Well, and with that shame, right? Shame and reoccurrences are just the brother and sister, right? I mean, yeah. You you, you use, mm-hmm. and then, although you're not a failure, mm-hmm. so I've heard so many times, it's like, I feel like a failure. I'm a yeah. failure. And so then that feeling, it's like, I'm a failure, and I'll never be able to get through this, so might as well keep using. Yes. And then you... And then you and that's where that's where those barriers break down. Yep. That's where all those health, healthy coping skills go to the wayside f- for a little bit. It's just because, well, I feel like a failure. I've messed up, so let's just like burn it all to the ground. So like, yeah, when somebody is having that catastrophized thinking, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, let's burn it all to the ground. I'm going right back to using. Mm-hmm. If somebody had had a loved one like that right now, like, what would be if you could give any advice or any thoughts? Mm-hmm. Oh God, yeah, that's a tough one. That's um, the magic answer. I know. Like <laughs> yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I'm not that <laughs> experienced yet for a magic answer. Um, you know, but ultimately, if you're a family member, a friend, a loved one, um, who is seeing someone very close, very loved, very appreciated, um, have a setback, have a reoccurrence, you know, I urge you to reach out. I urge you to let them know that it's okay, right? And this doesn't have to define any part of your recovery journey. Um, I think sometimes it's really difficult because we wonder like, okay, should I reach out? Am I going to make this person feel worse, right? But with, with our best intentions, understanding that that person already feels bad enough, right? We don't need to add to that. We, we don't. They've, they know they they're feeling enough of what they're feeling they're dogging on themselves enough we don't need more of that right yeah that's huge and, and to go back to that intentions piece right yeah. like when your intentions are positive towards them right mm-hmm. they get to like think back to their time when they were in recovery and like the, i guess that intentions piece is so big for them as well right yeah because the difference between a setback and a reoccurrence mm-hmm. is your intention behind it is your intention to okay i'm going to push through this like Mm -hmm. i i'm you know my brain played a trick on me i know that now this is a setback i'm pushing through is your intention to push through or is your intention to say like okay well one was fine so like it'll be okay next time Mm -hmm. too right you know and that and that intention and so showing through your intention right 100 percent be important yeah because i think I think the other piece that a lot of people get caught up on is like shame is a huge reason why the people we love and care about are going to isolate, right? right. They they don't want to feel that, you know, they've disappointed someone or they've let someone down or they've let someone else, you know, besides themselves down, they let themselves down, friends, family, siblings, spouses, whoever it is, right? Like it's the idea that I am not worthy of this life. I am not worthy of a life of recovery. So might as well throw in the towel. Right. But really from a loved one's perspective though, we have to understand 
that the shame is only going to keep them within their addiction. Right. And so anything we do, even inadvertently to add to that shame, 100%. is just going to cause more trouble. Right. And, you know, I think the other thing, too, that I always go back on is they already feel bad enough. Right. Right. There's no sense to add. Yeah. I think that's huge and that's helpful. So I think one of the one of the bits that or one of the lies that that shame will tell, especially mm. from an isolation standpoint, is that if I reach out for help, mm-hmm. I will be disavowed, disowned, kicked out of my treatment program, kicked out of my family or friend group. Et I can't tell you how often I hear that, and okay. I it makes me sad yeah. because. You know, I have people that are wanting to be open and honest with me, but they're fearful that here at the Willow Center, we just say, oh, sorry, man, like, can't help you. Right. So let's dispel that secondary myth then, right? Especially with you two in the room and with you two being colleagues on the recurrence front in particular. What does it look like for a client who experiences a setback or a full recurrence at the Mm -hmm. Willow Center? What step-by-step process happens? Do we just kick them out? No, <laughs> no, no. We I don't. mean, your shortest answer is absolutely not. Period. Point blank. Process, yeah. So. Well, I'll let Lexus take the beginning process okay. because she yeah. was, she would see it. So, um, anyone in my group um, that experiences any sort of recurrence or setback, um, we would obviously just have the conversation again. Talk about in process about what happened. Um, and even if they don't tell you, we typically find out yes. via. Uh, you're in drug screen. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um, so maybe if they don't tell me, and again, like you said, Chase, it comes up in a urine drug screen. You know, I would talk to them individually because, again, that is their business. It's no one else's business. No need to public shame. Yeah, no need for that because that's not going to get us anywhere. Um, really just pulling them aside and, you know, saying, hey, this is what the uh, urine drug screens came back at. I'm wondering if you would want to talk to me about you know, what you feel about the results, what's going on here, um, things like that. And really our next step, at least with um, outpatient specifically and any other program here, is that we would refer our clients to Mason, who is our uh, empowerment coordinator. And so I'll let him take over from here as to what his role is. So after the like reoccurrence happened or the setback happens, right, um, that, that would... I, I think just the fact that they're coming to treatment still shows mm-hmm. that's a setback. Even if they tell us or not, True. the fact that they are continuing right. to put, like stay with us shows that they believe in themselves, shows that they have intention to get better. Absolutely. Which is like genuinely like all we can ask for because it's a, it's a process. It mm-hmm. really is. Right. Yeah. And so once they are referred to me, uh, we'll meet and we will we, we try to build skills together, right? Like ther- therapy is a beautiful thing that helps you work through so much of your trauma. Mm-hmm. It, but sometimes, and this is completely okay, sometimes people need like hard skills that like mm-hmm. and actionable skills. And you build that those in therapy many times. But when you have all of the trauma that you've built up through addiction and you need to build skills to like work through like your day-to-day life at the same time, we try to come at it from both fronts, and that's why they meet with me to build to do that some more of that skills building piece as they continue to work through, um, you know, everything. When, when you say skills building, what do you mean? Like what what different items might fall into that, especially as they may relate to factors of a recurrence. Hmm. So, with the it, it is very dependent on uh, on the person for sure. Uh, it for some people the places that they go impact their yep. their setbacks 100%. right 
they they're just driving around and it's like okay well why have i passed this bar three times in the past like you know half an hour and i'm just Mm -hmm. driving around right well it's like you're you're getting on the porch you want to go into the house but you're you're just you're just standing on the porch right now so how do we so a a huge one that we're hearing right now is boredom Yes. You, you you have this kick. It's like, well, I binge watch TV and I get on mm-hmm. social media. And th- those are great things to do. But after you get off of those, many times it's just like, well, I'm feeling empty and I'm bored. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do we fill that time? So it, with those skills, it's like, well, just get outside, especially now that it's springtime. Get out and take a walk. So there's simple skills like that. But then there's harder skills like, okay, when I'm really angry, how do I like ground myself and how do I keep myself like feeling like I can handle this situation when I'm anxious or I'm angry mm-hmm. or, or things are just too intense. So it's really the full spectrum and um, client dependent. Yeah, that's helpful. Would you add anything to that? Yeah, I think what Mason said is a hundred percent huge. Um, the boredom is so, 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 so prevalent. I can't highlight that enough. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, because the thing with boredom is one in the winter months, that's a huge ordeal, but now that it's getting, um, you know, warmer outside, the weather's looking up, not as much rain, fingers crossed. Um, (laughs) you know, there's, there's more activities to be done. A lot of things that we talk about, um, in outpatient as well as like forming new hobbies. I always, ask people as well like what is one thing you wanted to try that you never have or have been too afraid to try because like this is ultimately the opportunity because if most of your time or you know any time that's preventing you from trying something new is probably spent drinking using substances things like that so I always want to ask like what is something that you've always wanted to try and how can how can we get to that point Um, so a lot of like healthier habits as well is, is another big thing. Um, and then, uh, Mason expressed another really good example about like with anger or any sort of like negative emotions. Um, something we call the clinical term really is kind of with distress tolerance. Um, it's so really, it's how can I emotionally regulate my negative emotions, whether that be grief, sadness, anger, depression, right? What are things I can do to understand, okay, yes, this is here. I can't change that, but how can I handle it in which I will not experience necessarily a reoccurrence or setback? Because that's that's the biggest prevention piece of that. Nice. And so, so you mentioned distress tolerance, right? Yes. So being able to handle those emotions when they come up. Mm-hmm. If you were to have somebody and say they had a setback and they're still coming they're still they still want to push through Heck yeah but they're like when you talk start talking to them you realize like okay well they're, they're saying like oh i don't really have any like i don't have any grief i i know there was no sadness that happened mm-hmm. i wasn't bored if so what would you what would you say to somebody if they if they mm-hmm. are saying like i there's no grief there's no sadness there's no mm-hmm. boredom um like do you think, do you feel like there, there kind of has to be for most reoccurrences or do you think that? Mm, that's yeah. a good question. I think, I, I think really the, the first thing I would do is just get to the core because I've heard sometimes people were like, well, I don't, I don't really know what caused it. And sometimes it, it's more of an unconscious thing, mm. right? Because again, the habits that we used to have 
sometimes still linger, right? So it's about, okay, what am I doing still unconsciously that I'm not always aware of, right? Mm -hmm. So the other biggest piece that I work on, if someone's not necessarily super confident and can, you know, articulate why maybe a setback or reoccurrence happened, I always want to look at, okay, well, what was going on a week prior, a few days prior, things like that, because sometimes it's not always a direct correlation necessarily. It's not always like, for example, oh, well, I just had this huge blowout fight with my spouse, so that's why I ended up using, right? Mm. Sometimes it can be, you know, periods and and lengths of stress maybe, Mm. right, that they experience at a job or within a relationship, right? Right. So really the biggest thing I like to do is kind of look at the, the week, month even maybe and look at what was going on then for us emotionally to really to really try and investigate okay what happened here how can I make sure I'm building that awareness and that distress tolerance further that's great so it sounds like what we're what you're both kind of hinting at is this idea of a recurrence prevention plan yes um and I, I thought maybe this would be a good opportunity especially for somebody who's maybe not ever gone to treatment or maybe mm-hmm. they've had recurrences or setbacks before and not known what to do. What is a recurrence prevention plan? What are the components? What's it look like? And how's that play out, especially during their time at the Willow Center? Yeah. So really, um, I would say the best ways to prevent any sort of reoccurrence or setback um, is really when you start building the foundation of your, of your treatment program, right? Like it, for example, like with any building, you can't have a loose or unsteady foundation because it's going to topple over eventually. Might not be the next day, might not be the next week, next month, year, doesn't even matter, but eventually it's going to happen, right? Um, And so specifically with a recurrence prevention plan, it's really looking at, okay, what are my biggest triggers? Um, And for you guys out there that may not be aware of what a trigger is, a, a trigger is anything from an internal or external um, sort of occurrence that makes us think about or feel, you know, any sort of emotion that is related towards our past substance use, right? So it may not necessarily lead to us wanting to use, but what may remind us about our substance use. Um, and so really the huge part about the reoccurrence prevention plan is looking at, okay, what are my triggers? What is something that is going to make me think about going back and using um or what is something i can do to make sure i am not near things like that so the biggest thing i always talk about in group is looking at our people places and things um and so the reason that those three aspects are so important is because you know we're looking at what is familiar to us what is comfortable to us within our substance use you know, if we're hanging around people that maybe we engaged in that substance use with, right, again, kind of with the foundation piece, it's only really a matter of time before we find ourselves really in a predicament or a tough spot to where we feel we cannot further prevent or be proactive about that setback or reoccurrence. Right. Um, and so also looking at places like where were places nearby or uh, people's houses that you used to go to where you would engage in substance use or you just know aren't really healthy relationships to be involved in anymore, right? So it doesn't even necessarily have to do with substance use directly. It can be anything that causes or triggers any sort of emotional response even that would eventually lead us to our substance use. And then as you move in, so the people and the places are mm. huge. And then 
you also run into the things. And yes. so there's um, certain activities that could cause mm-hmm. you like triggers. But also, as you, if you are triggered or you have a craving to use, mm-hmm. if either of those things happen in your recurrence prevention plan, you um, also need to have like build in activities you're going to do when you feel those things and build those yeah. new habits when you have those cravings or those triggers build those new new habits then and that that new habit can be like i'm gonna go take my dog on a walk mm-hmm. i'm gonna go play video games whatever it is for you but it gives you the opportunity to be like oh i want to use boom now i'm switching it yes 100 percent. and like the thing is when i'm making these with people i always tell them i'm like listen I don't want you to tell me something that you're not going to do. Like, don't don't appease me and say, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go on this most beautiful nature walk. If you know for a fact there is no nature trail by you, right? Like, what is going to be realistic for you? Like, if there's not a nature trail by you and you feel like it's unrealistic, do not put that on a recurrence prevention plan because we want to make this as personalized as possible. Like, if you don't like reading. Don't put that on a rate currents prevention plan. Yeah. Put very specifically like, oh, like Mason said, I'm going to go take my dog on the walk around the block, right? Because it's short. It's easy. It doesn't cost me money. So it sounds like the key to long lasting recovery is getting a dog. I mean, <laughs> that could also be fine. That That's up to y'all and your financial plans. But <laughs> it's, maybe it'd be helpful. I don't know. That's great. So sometimes when you have a recurrence prevention plan, it, it can even be like a physical piece of paper that we're collaborating on to write oh, down and have yes. with us to remind ourselves of these things that we've made goals, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we we make it with them here at the Willow Center in our office. We print it off for them to take with them, yes. right? So you can put it on a fridge. You can keep it in your wallet. Um, You know, even more so, sometimes I recommend if they live with anyone or in any sort of like romantic relationship, I always encourage them to have multiple copies just so their support system is also aware like, oh, hey, these are things that might be helpful to be aware of just in case something were to come up. So That's great. I love that. I think we can officially consider this myth busted. What do you think? I think All right. busted. Yeah, recurrence is not always or inevitably no. part of recovery. But even if it does happen, uh, you're not going to get kicked out of treatment at the Willow Center. We're going to come alongside you and try and provide mm-hmm. you the resources and the empowerment and the support you need to take the next healthiest step. Now, if you're listening right now and you feel like you are on the cusp of a recurrence or a setback or... Maybe you've not even started your recovery journey yet and you're feeling alone. Uh, I encourage you, please, 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 please call us. Uh, The three of us are ready to help however we can, as well as the whole rest of the Willow Center team. Mm -hmm. We want to come alongside you and help you take the the best first step or next step in your journey. So give us a call, 317-852-3690. Lexus, thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much. I've had so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I appreciate it. So next week, or I'm sorry, next month, we will be talking about uh, some myths surrounding the idea of harm reduction, which you may or may not have um, heard that phrase before. It has a lot to do with different different roadmaps and pathways into recovery, some of which are totally fine and not controversial at all, some of which are extremely controversial and might have some risks to your health involved. So we're going to talk about some of those myths with uh, with a colleague here in the community. This has been Episode 3, Season 3. We are your hosts, Chase. And Mason. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next month.